Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, Sean here, just dropping in at the top of this week's episode to let you know that this one comes with a trigger warning. My very lovely guest and I will be tackling the sensitive subject of eating disorders. We'll also touch on disordered eating and mental health issues. So if you're sensitive to or triggered by any of these subjects, then please, if you are going to listen to this episode, proceed with caution If you want to sit this one out, that is perfectly fine too. And we will see you guys next time. Enjoy the show. Excuse me, I have something to say. This is the podcast where we have real and open conversations about life and everything it throws our way. I'm your host, Sean Philip Naylor. And you can join me each episode as I talk with inspiring people who also have something to say. You can also join in on the conversations by contacting me directly through the show's official social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at excuseme underscore pod, Facebook and YouTube, search excuse me, I have something to say, or visit our official website, excuse me, I have something to say.com. As always, all links are embedded into the show notes for you. And don't forget to click on that subscribe button. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, remember you can rate and review the show there. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me this week on Excuse Me. It's been a minute since the last episode went to air and a lot has happened and I've been a very busy boy. My full-time job has seen me going back and forth between the Gold Coast and Brisbane once again, and that's been happening for the last month or so, and it's kind of taking its toll on me a little bit. The husband, well, he's been going through his own things too that we've had to deal with together as a couple, as you do when you are married or when you are just part of a couple, you're in it together, right? Um, Add that to the always anxiety-inducing and ever-changing COVID situation, the bombardment of other people's opinions and propaganda on whether or not to vaccinate, along with family obligations and celebrations. It has been a big few weeks for me. But somehow, in the mix of all of that, I still managed to release a single to Spotify and all streaming platforms. So if you fancy having a listen to a song that I wrote and recorded with my sister 15 years ago, you can do so. Head on over to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your good music and search for me there. You can search me under artist name Sean Phillip and the song is called Falling Apart. It actually means a lot to me and it's quite scary to put my heart on my sleeve all those years ago and now put it out to the world so if you do go listen to it be kind and enjoy 
Coming up on today's show, I'll be having a chat with someone who I have been dying to get on the podcast since its conception, someone who always inspires me and educates me about food and nutrition on a weekly basis through her social media channels, my friend and soon-to-be your friend, Sarah Y. Sarah is an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and the owner of her own private practice, the Good Food Clinic. Sarah works with individuals, families, and carers, managing a variety of health conditions and also practices in her area of special interest, which is eating disorders. Sarah supports people to make healthy changes backed by scientific evidence, nutrition, counseling, and collaborative work. Sarah Y, welcome to Excuse Me. I'm beyond excited to have you on and your expertise how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Very good. It's a weekend. I've had a gin and tonic followed by a cup of tea. I'm very happy. It's all about <laughs> balance, right? Gin and tonic followed yes. by tea. A relax, relaxing yeah, night at home. All the vibes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. I'm just going to jump straight in and give you an opportunity, to, I guess, just to tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about yourself and what influenced you to become a dietitian. I guess it's a bit of a funny story. So I, when I applied to start uni and study as a dietitian, I actually didn't know what a job and like the role of a dietitian was. I was just naturally interested in, you know, healthy eating, how the diet can prevent certain diseases or manage health conditions and everything. So it's more that holistic approach. And I guess the area that I'm working in now, which is predominantly eating disorders or disordered eating, is... I think that was mainly triggered from a placement experience where I got to shadow an incredible paediatric dietitian um, in the hospital and I got I got to see firsthand what it was like in the, the most extreme cases and it just really um, left an impact. I guess it printed, you know, printed in my brain and um, it was just something I wanted to do. Yeah, so that's where my passion lies. Yeah, I love it. So what exactly does, because like you said, like you, you weren't really sure of what, the job would entail mm. so what exactly does yes. a dietitian or nutritionalist do yeah good question so with the dietitian they're university qualified so they undertake a minimum of four years of study so that's a study into science anatomy physiology metabolic and um, metabolism all the sciences basically and then towards the final year that's when we actually start learning about nutrition which is crazy so a dietitian is qualified to manage anyone under, say, the health system, like the hospital, private practice, outpatient, to manage their health conditions, basically. So it's a long, you know, from the very beginnings of just basic healthy eating, um, kids and adults, to the other um, end of the spectrum, like really complex uh, health conditions, uh, like renal disease, eating disorders, mental health, diabetes, and everything as well. So we're qualified to manipulate the diet understand medication review blood tests and everything in conjunction with a doctor and yeah support that person by changing their diet now you mentioned that you specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating this may be a silly Mm -hmm. question but is there a difference between eating disorders and disordered eating it's actually not a silly question i'm i'm been wanting to do a blog on this for a while it's just getting the time so the main difference if we're thinking about the diagnosis that 
So there's a criteria, DSM-5, so it's a, it's a psychology criteria. Basically, it's um, to see if you meet the frequency and the other behaviours of an eating disorder to be able to be diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder or bulimia nervosa, just to name a few. And that basically in the terms of like the health system that grants you access to get referrals under the Medicare system, if we're speaking about Australia only, whereas disordered eating is where people don't, like the behaviours, for example, don't really fit into the box of that diagnosis. It still can be life-threatening and it can have psychological impacts, but it's not, I guess it doesn't meet, you know, that, um, that diagnosis per se. Does that make sense? So it could be, yeah. for example, you've got someone that engages in compulsive exercise and really like restricts their eating chronically. So that would be, you know, anorexia nervosa, where someone that cycles between different diets, but they don't end up restricting, they do restrict, but then they end up increasing their or like their food intake and it just goes in between and they do over-exercise, but they can't keep up with that either. And, and they do try different diets multiple times a year for the, you know, until they're 13 years, which is really sad, but they don't, you know, they don't meet that criteria. So they kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would say that represents quite a lot of people. And I'm not talking about female, like women only. I'm talking about men and women um, and transgender. And I, I always forget the how, the order of the queue. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I can't <laughs> attempt to say it. <laughs> like all of the different uh, what what are we yeah. like all of the lgbtqia plus Thank everyone you. else as well uh, everyone everybody Let's just say everyone everybody can suffer yeah. from it so does disordered eating yeah. generally flow on like if not treated or dealt with does that flow on to potentially becoming full-blown eating mm-hmm. disorders yeah it, it everything can so it's when we engage in dieting it can increase our chances of developing an eating disorder it doesn't mean that everyone goes on to develop an eating disorder because there's so many things that can load the gun and pull the trigger so that can be genetic environmental you know your support system yeah so it's just I guess a dieting and that initial weight change that can be the the main point where we see some young people then go on to develop an eating disorder. And some people just, you know, what I was saying, engage in disordered eating for the next 20 to 30 years. Um, and other, peop- uh, other people just go on to have a, a normal relationship with food as well. This, again, could sound like a silly question and probably mm. too broad of a question, but what is a normal relationship with food? It doesn't look the same for everyone. So this is where everyone's going to be like, tell me what to eat. But it's <laughs> literally, it's, it's so grey. So it's not about what you're eating. That is the normal relationship with food. It's your principle. So it's about eating regularly. So it's about listening to your body, firstly. So it's about going back to basics. You know, when we were kids and we used to get, you know, we would eat when we we're hungry um, and stop when we we're full. Basically, it's just honouring your body that way. So it's about eating regularly. 
So not being scared of being hungry, not being scared of feeling full, um, not letting your tank run too empty, making sure you're eating enough for what you're doing. So a lot of people underestimate how much they actually need to eat. A lot of people eat, there's that golden number for some reason, the 1,200 calories per day, which is enough for a child, not an adult. So we need a lot more than that. So it's about that eating enough variety, eating socially as well, and enjoying the food that we're having. So it's just about flexibility. See, I'm somebody who, I, I, yeah, I, I think yeah, it, it's, it's a safe space. Um, I know you quite well. I'm somebody who my weight always fluctuates, always goes up and down. I think most people's do, but I yeah. don't think I've always had the healthiest relationship with food. When I was 18, I really wanted to get thin I'd just come out and so, and I started working in gay clubs and things like that. So there was a whole bunch of body mm-hmm. issues and sort of things I hadn't really been overly exposed to um, that I started mm-hmm. to see, you know, all, you know, no offense to all my, my gay, gay friends, but you know, there were people in their little tank tops and their little six packs. And there was me who just didn't have any of that. And then I started doing a lot more exercise. I guess I call it incidental exercise. It was, I didn't drive mm. and I was having to walk to and from buses and I was doing two jobs and one of those I was you know out all night working behind a bar getting really hot and sweaty the other one was top shop shoes and so I was on my feet all day and I started to lose weight and then people would say such positive things about Mm. the weight loss not that I was ever huge before not that I've ever been huge or overly unhealthy in that way But there were, you know, I started to lose weight. I had an auntie of mine. I was walking down the road one day. She stopped the car, reversed it and was like, I didn't even recognize that that was you. You look amazing. She was like, your legs are so skinny. And it was just like that positive reinforcement of me going, oh, okay, this this is a good thing then that I'm losing all of this weight Mm -hmm. that, you know, I will be the first to admit that um, I started to very briefly binge and purge. Because I was, I would eat food and I was like, like, you know, if I went for lunch with my cousin and we got Maccas or whatever, you know, 18 years old, like it's fine. But then I would feel guilty and be like, oh, well, I'll get fat again. So Mm. don't want to do that. And this only happened for a brief few months in my life because I I identified for myself. I was like, well, this isn't normal. And I think I stopped before it got worse, but it's definitely something that Mm -hmm. I've done and not always had a healthy relationship to to food. And I think after sharing that lovely story, what I'm getting at is the positive reinforcements people give us to be thin as opposed to be healthy, just to be thin Mm -hmm. is, is terrifying. And in your line of work, you must see a lot of people who have that, I guess, mental connection that thin is good, fat is bad. Yeah, but I think we, unfortunately, we all have that weight bias. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing as well, because I know, you know, that's quite a personal thing. So it's nice to know that it's a, it is a safe place to, yeah. to share it. It's, um, yeah, and you're definitely not alone in that experience either. You know, thinking about that scenario as well. So you get all these compliments when you're losing that weight. So when you, when someone starts to regain that weight, which is most likely going to happen, then it goes back to, okay, so then I've failed or that person's not going to compliment me anymore or they're not going to, like for some people, they go, oh, then I won't have that social connection. So 
I think that's something that we've got to really understand. It's not about the weight loss. It's about feeling connected and accepted into a, a community because we're creatures that want to be accepted and loved. So it's really thinking about the why, why, why. It's really difficult in this day and age to hear comments about body and people getting better, but it's still happening. So, you know, in my line of work, we have to talk about body image, body acceptance. So body, not always body positivity and managing how we interpret and how we deal with people talking about our bodies as well. Like obviously diet culture is huge, Mm. but what about, what have you seen or how do you feel about the impacts that, you know, social media influencers and celebrities are having on diet culture and the way that we eat and the way that we view our bodies? They have, I hate to say it, but I feel like they've still got quite a firm grip on how, especially young people, I think we get, you know, we're, I'm in, in my early 30s and I work in this area. So I've, sometimes I, I kid myself and I think, oh, yeah, I think we're getting on top of this. But then I see young young kids and I see them taking their in, their photos for their Instagram page. For example, I saw some girls, young girls down the beach and it was quite inappropriate what they were doing. And I'm like asking myself, why are they doing that? And then, you know, I come to the conclusion it's because diet culture, it, you know, it's because of, body image and how not just girls but I guess young people are meant to look or that's how they believe like adults are acting it's so even like with intuitive eating which is an excellent tool it's been warped by diet culture into somehow suppressing your appetite it used like it's so hard for anyone to navigate because you think you're just doing something like healthy eating and next minute you realise that it's just another diet. It's, so it's, it, it's so important, I guess, to be led by someone that you feel safe with and they know what they're talking about because it's such a, such a hard thing to navigate. It's been around for centuries. Are any of the diets actually any good? Like, <laughs> that's a very broad question, isn't it? So yeah. to give you an example, last couple of years I've been eating mostly the keto diet. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I really loved about it was it gave me a new spin. Like, I guess once I started to see some positive body results and I felt good, um, like I felt good mentally and physically, I had more energy and, you know, I was like, oh, okay, this is great. This is something I can be on board with. Mm -hmm. You know, I found it really interesting because it it brought things into my life that I wasn't doing. So I drink almond milk now, as opposed to dairy milk. And I had dairy milk the other week and I was so sick. And, you know, I cook with a lot of almond flour and things like that, that I would never have done before that I probably would never have been exposed to if I didn't do keto. But at the same time, it is very restrictive. So are there any of those diets out there that as a nutritionist and a dietitian, you look at Mm -hmm. it and go, it's not so bad, or should we literally just be eating everything within reason? Eating everything within reason? (laughs) But in (laughs) saying that, so that's that's like the short answer. But I guess if if you think about any of these diets, like, for example, the keto diet, you can do it a healthy way. You can do it. An unhealthy way. So 
for example, you can have um, like the quote-unquote unhealthy way could be like lots of butter, coconut oil, like processed meat, no avocado or nuts or anything like that. Whereas you've got the other alternative, you've got like oily fish and you've got lots of low starch vegetables, you've got avocados, you've got lean meats, different oils in there. So you can see like what would be the more desirable option for your body in terms of fueling it as well. But I guess the question is, if it feels like it's restrictive, and it makes you feel like you can't go out for dinner with friends and you can't be flexible. And it plays into that mindset of if I eat this way, I failed, I'm a bad person, I'm going to put on, on weight. Then that option with the avocados and the oily fish might not actually be a good option for you, like even though it's Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The better out the two, it's probably not best for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, like it, I think are you yeah. trying to say like if if you're if you don't have the right mindset when you're yeah. approaching the diet, and you know mm-hmm. when you say you know it's restricting you from eating out with friends and family, or if you ate something that wasn't mm-hmm. part of that diet, then you are you know you failed. That's not. Yeah. That's not the diet, that's the mind. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think it's also really important when we're starting a diet, especially any of those fad diets as well, um, like with the shakes or anything, or I think there's like a, oh, there's a new one I saw today, but I can't remember the name of it. It's like if, if you fail, if it, it, it's not you failing the diet, the diet fails you. It's really hard to follow anything with a restrictive diet without support. And, it, you know, you can't just change your the way you're eating overnight without learning about nutrition, I guess. Yeah. And then also considering where you're at at the moment and what's brought you there. So it might be a bit busy lifestyle, not being able to prep food, lack of cooking skills and what have you, or you might want to eat healthy and your partner doesn't want to. So yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's 
just tackling those things before you change your diet. But yes, I would say like in the long run, if the keto diet, you felt great on that. Yeah, it just all comes down to the individual and supporting what they want. See, I did feel great on it. It did have its pros and its cons. So one of the pros of that and sort of how we stumbled into the keto diet was somebody recommended I do it. And then when I started to look into it and I found some, you know, these are things that you would eat and these are things that you wouldn't eat if you were doing this lifestyle or this diet. When I started to look into it, I was like, oh, you know what? It's actually not too far from what Benny and I were already doing because, you know, we weren't really eating pasta or those, you know, rice or chips or things like that. Most of our meals which thankfully Benny is in charge of meals and he's very good in the kitchen. So I'm a winner. Yeah. Um, but he would always do like vegetables with a grilled chicken breast. And that was like, mm-hmm. not saying he would cook that every day, but that was our meals were a bit of protein and mostly veggies. And before yeah. I met Benny, I didn't really eat that many veggies. I, I liked them. I didn't really know how to cook them, but yeah. he changed the way he, I don't know what he does to vegetables. It's amazing. Um, it's magic. <laughs> it is, it is magic in the kitchen with his veggies. Um, so we sort of fell into that as a lifestyle and it worked really well. Yeah. And then, you know, we were planning the wedding. So obviously wanting to look our best and fit into the smallest mm-hmm. suits possible because of that, you know, mental connection, that thin is good. Yeah. And so we were doing that right up until the wedding. And then after the wedding, we went on a little mini moon for a couple of days. And all we did was sit around and eat like cheese and crackers and drink mm-hmm. expensive champagne that were gifted to us for like two days. And it was wonderful. And then when we came back, we never fell back into the keto thing. We still do, you know, still did like we would replace rice with broccoli and cauliflower rice and that sort of thing mm-hmm. because we like the crunch yeah. we like the flavor and you know it's got more flavor than yeah. regular rice and so we would still do that but then lately let's just say you you know you said the weight will come back it always does so being non-restrictive yeah. in our diets and also you know working a lot but not getting a lot of exercise we've mm. both put on a little bit more weight which is fine. But then what I've learned is when I was doing the keto thing, I got really addicted to having a rumbly tummy. Yeah, I see. Like I would get to this point where I wouldn't want to eat anything with like intermittent Mm. fasting and stuff like that as well, because I was like, well, if I don't eat it, I get my tummy's rumbling. And if my tummy's rumbling, well, then I'm like, I'm hungry and I'm not going to eat because well done me, I'm hungry now which is obviously yeah. a bad, bad cycle to be in. Mm. And so that was a big trigger in my head, which just recently, uh, just the other day, in yeah. fact, Benny and I had a conversation. I said to him, I will continue to eat low carbs, but if I want to have hot chips at the, you know, if we go to like the surf club or something and I want hot chips, I'll have hot chips and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And that's yeah. how I'm trying to look like. I will still try and eat healthy and avoid certain things but if I want it Mm -hmm. I'm gonna let myself have it now and just try to get a better relationship with the food that I eat yeah and it's great that you've been able to acknowledge that you know that emptiness and rumbling in your stomach that feeling of trying to prolong that like it probably isn't the best for you in the long run as well so that's you know being self-aware is like one of the first steps to preventing you know going down the rabbit hole I've heard the phrase thrown around a lot, eat the rainbow, and it's not Skittles, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does that 
look like? And, and is it true? Like, is a quote unquote healthy diet one where you eat mm-hmm. the rainbow? Yes. So the rainbow concept is basically from uh, polyphenols and antioxidants that are found in different colours of fruits and vegetables. And I guess it also ties back into eating locally and seasonally as well. And that will give you, you know, that variety and that diversity throughout your day, your week and your year. Yeah, so it could be as simple as lunch. You could have spinach, which is green, and just add two different colours. So it doesn't have to be, you know, too complicated. It doesn't have to be like literally the rainbow on your plate. It just has, You just have to see a diversity of different vegetables and fruits that you're having. So it's not just, you know, broccoli steamed broccoli for breakfast lunch and dinner so eat the rainbow kids eat all of the colors Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and only vegetables that you really enjoy you know you don't have to force yourself to have brussels sprouts or like peas which i've never eaten since i was a kid so you can literally choose the the veg that you enjoy and just bulk it up (laughs) yeah i'm into my brussels sprouts i like brussels yeah maybe Um, one day (laughs) (laughs) and peas i like peas When we were talking before about eating disorders, there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of stigma around certain types of eating disorders. It's almost like years ago, it almost felt like it was some sort of competition between, you know, anorexia and bulimia. Like one, Mm. not that one was better than the other, obviously they're both terrible. It's one of those things I think that it's stigmatized a lot to be somebody who is seen as having an eating disorder but it's also something I find which is you know I think as a society when we look at it we put eating disorders solely on females I don't Mm -hmm. think we realize just how many men and boys and other identifying people still have those eating disorders like anorexia is not just for women yeah your line of work what do you see when it comes to that sort of gender percentage with eating well it's a it's a a huge variety and like you were saying you know if i think about anorexia nervosa i was i was watching a project the other day and like they just screenshot like they just put up a video of like a young white female and it's like it's it's not just young white females that's a really small pop like small percentage you know there's a lot of older adults in their 40s that are suffering with this well, I shouldn't say suffering but like living with this with this mental illness as well and that's actually I don't know if this would be surprising for a lot of viewers but anorexia nervosa is actually um, one of the least common eating disorders in in our society I've actually got some stats ready to go if you're interested definitely interested um, but already a surprise I thought that it would have been yeah what's I don't want to say popular more prevalent yeah 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 absolutely so three percent in um in australia is anorexia nervosa 12 percent is bulimia nervosa and 47 percent is binge eating disorder which is um i guess what you're describing about that um loss of control over food and people with binge eating disorder usually have um living larger bodies and then um, 38% are people that have other types of eating disorders that uh, go between, say, um, subtypes, I guess, of the eating disorder um, that don't really fit into that box. Or like, say, orthorexia, for example, which is quite new. Um, What's that? Yeah, so 
So orthorexia is the, I guess, a obsessive desire and need to eat clean and healthy. Um, so it, I guess it comes down to why, 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 why do you want to eat clean? So it's, it, I guess it's, it's that tipping scale of it's a psychological impact of eating so healthy that you actually put yourself in mental and physical harm. And that's mm, something so that's anything, new. It's new to the DSM-5 screening criteria, but not new in society. I think it's been around for a while, but I think with the use of social media, um, I think a lot more people are presenting with it. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Yeah, I know. That's... Yeah, it's, um, it's sad. But there's, you know, the, the people I work with, you know, people living with eating disorders and their families and carers are the most hardworking people when it comes to recovering and treatment. Yeah, they, they've just a lot of a lot of support um, and I guess persistence with their with their recovery. What do you think when it comes to I don't want to say eating disorders for this part, but like people's opinions mm. on what we should be eating. Obviously not everyone is a qualified dietitian or nutritionist, yep. but everybody seems to think they're an expert on what we should be putting into mm-hmm. our bodies. How does that, yeah. like, what's that like for you as somebody who is a trained professional and you see... It's so and- fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I, it, it, you know, I've, I've come to... Um, I don't mind it as much as I used to unless it's another health professional stepping out of their scope and doing harm. So... Everyone eats, and I think that's why we feel like we can give advice and everything. But, you know, it's, you know, like someone could say, oh, you know, I, I changed my diet to look after my diabetes, so that will work for you too. You should try cutting out X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I, I think giving nutrition advice when you're not qualified you don't really understand the impact that you're having because you're not considered like a dietitian doesn't just give out food advice they give out counseling and they actually understand your lifestyle barriers what foods you like what you don't like as well like there's so many things so just giving someone just giving food advice is like the tip of the the iceberg so I think it just highlights how little they know without sounding too harsh so my advice is just to nod and be like thanks for that and move on. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess as well, like if you're giving, if you're, if you're not a professional and you're giving food advice, you don't know their mental connection to food. Mm-hmm. And I think from already yeah. from this conversation, we can see that, you know, people's individuals um, mental connection to what they're putting in their body when it comes to what they're eating can be very skewed you don't know what somebody's thinking silently about the food that they're yeah. eating um so yeah that's very important uh, don't give yeah, advice don't guys. Seek some- professional help exactly you don't know what's going on in someone's head so unless someone asks don't comment <laughs> well again don't shame somebody for something that they're eating too that's another thing never like if oh, you go in the back never. room at work and somebody's eating you know, a burrito or something, let them enjoy their burrito. You're not putting it in your body if it's something that you wouldn't eat. Yeah, exactly. You're you're not that person. You don't know the context of their day and you're not like 
you can never change someone's health by being negative and shaming someone. So if you shame someone, that can only that can only worsen their health. Yeah. Um, Benny had a question uh, when I told yeah. him that you were coming on and that we were talking about food and you know um, eating disorders and disordered eating. His question mm-hmm. was as a nutritionist and a dietitian, a mm-hmm. qualified one, are you able to diagnose someone with an eating disorder or does that come from a different medical profession and then you just help and deal with the, the patient? Mm-hmm. Okay. So our dietitians can, so it's a bit of a backwards way, but we diagnose eating problems. So it could be, you know, nutritional deficiency related to the eating disorder. So we can bring that up with the, the doctor, um, but the doctor and the psy- uh, clinical psychologist and the psychiatrist can medically diagnose, whereas a dietitian can diagnose food problems. In saying that, though, because the health system is convoluted, often I see clients and I can tell by screening questions during the consultation that they have an eating disorder. So I can actually get them to fill out a questionnaire, which is a um, validated tool that can help the doctor or the psychiatrist or clinical psych to diagnose the eating disorder. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can see if you have somebody who comes to you who's not been diagnosed by another medical professional, there's basically warning signs in the document yep. that you get them to fill in. Like when years and yep. years ago, I had myself my little mental breakdown and I went to see my doctor and he had me fill out this very confronting um, mm. question. I think it was like six or seven questions. And from that, yeah. he said, okay, I personally, you know, I think that you're suffering with anxiety and depression and I can refer you to somebody yeah. else who can then say that that is what it is and then put you on the road to recovery. Yeah. So you can yeah, essentially do that using that tool and then send yeah, them on the, the right map. path. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's good. basically a tool to get access for, for the person so that they can get help. Right. And so yeah. you, you, you specialize in the eating disorders. How long have you been doing that specifically? Because um, obviously mm-hmm. I've followed your journey a lot because I know you and I follow you on all, all the things. And so you'll often post really really great content that that educates me and if it's educating me it's obviously educating other people too but I did, wasn't really 100% aware that you'd sort of localized your um, mm. I guess your clinic into disordered eating yeah yeah so I originally like when you first graduate you're a generalist so you you're managing people with lots of different acute and chronic health conditions and I still actually do that but I found when I was, I've been working in eating disorders for say two years now. And I found about a year ago with my business, I was becoming a bit too niche in the sense that I was getting contacts from people, like emails saying, Oh, do you see anyone other than people with eating disorders? And it's like, Of course, I'm a, a dietitian. So I think about a year ago, I decided not to make all my posts based on my viewers that might have an eating disorder or disordered eating. I guess it's still the 
the values are still there in terms of evidence-based treatment and gentle nutrition and looking at food as a cultural and environmental and I guess a a love of food as well so it's just going back to the values of that but yeah I have I guess in the dietitians I work with know that that's an area of um, interest for me but I don't really try and niche too much in that area in the public side because then I'm really cutting down on the scope of people I'm seeing. Another area mm. of interest, or I believe it to be an area of interest uh, of yours, that you will quite often bring up publicly on your socials, and I always appreciate I, it. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, <laughs> is, is let's call it, would we call it gut health? It's poop. It's poop. It's poop. <laughs> the importance of poop. I know, I do talk about that quite often. It's not I something like it, that people <laughs> talk about. So when you do post about it, it's always really fascinating. Oh, that's good. Maybe I'll post about it a little bit more then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you do. You post some really, really great stuff. One of the things, actually, I think it was the thing that made me reach out to you this time around was you did that little video with the little whiteboard that was, uh, yeah. yeah, you know the one. What did, what did it say? You rubbed out some words. To rephrase the sentence. Um, it was, oh, I'm just trying to remember. I cannot eat blank because I do not deserve it. Does that make, was that, yeah. yeah. And then I, and then I, I rubbed it off to say I can eat blank because I do deserve it. Which I thought was really simple yet really powerful message. Um, and I thank you for sharing it because it did make me reach out and go, hey, this is a, a bigger conversation that I think you know, I wanted to bring it to the podcast. And obviously knowing you, you're the right woman to do it. For you now, like how do you get to see your patients? Obviously, you, you said that you don't just see people with eating disorders. You do see the general, mm-hmm. you know, the wider yep. public. Um, yep. So how do people get in touch with you how do you get your clients through a few streams so word of mouth has actually been the foundation to the business which I was so surprised about back in the early days when I started the the business in 2019 just having the support of the doctors and uh, local dietitians like you know they knew I was you know I worked really well in a certain area and then they would you know word of mouth spread um instagram's been really good as well um i don't get too many messages but i guess you know people can find me on instagram at the good food clinic and the same facebook page as well but it's it's mainly just word of mouth at the moment i think i've been around for a couple of years so people know where i am and they eventually do reach out when they're ready as well and you do have um a couple of free downloads on your website as well which I thought were quite quite Mm. handy quite good so if anybody's listening go get those because yeah yeah very helpful very very good thank you what advice do you have for anyone out there who might be questioning their own relationship with food after listening to this conversation Mm. I think you could start off with asking yourself some basic questions or you could ask your loved one that you're worried about some basic questions you know as you were saying what is your relationship with food 
how is that affecting your relationship with your body and your mental health? And then you can go from there. If you're going to ask someone that, I think it's really important to have some resources up your sleeve to making sure that you've got a really good GP on hand or you can go onto the Butterfly Foundation website as well and explore what your eating habits might mean. If you're certain that you need some help and you're not quite sure where to start, you can start just talking to your one of your healthcare providers. It doesn't have to be your doctor. It can be the physio that you see as well, or it can be one of the dietitians. Most of all, dietitians seem to be the first point of contact for people worried about their eating and concerned if they do have disordered eating or eating disorders. And like you said, what is the difference? So a dietitian can be really valuable in navigating the whole health healthcare system for someone. Awesome. And you, I'm assuming, are not taking new clients at the minute because you're a busy new mum or are you taking new clients? <laughs> I am. I am. Um, I am slowly coming back into work. So I was originally starting um, working one day a week and I'm going to be opening up another day a week. So if you, if anyone is interested, just send me see an email or contact me um, on Instagram or Facebook. And um, yeah, we can explore working together if that's something that you're interested in. Awesome. And I will put all the links to your website, your Instagram, all of that in the show notes for the episode so that anybody who does want to reach out or even just follow and watch the upcoming poop content, then they know know where to go. Yeah, so important. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming on to the podcast Um, it's been great catching up with you and great to pick your brain and sort of share some, some personal stories as well. Um, do you have, I'm going to Jerry Springer you for anybody who's listening who knows what Jerry Springer is. Do you have a final (laughs) thought about uh, nutrition that you'd like to share? Don't underestimate how important it is to share a meal with someone. There we go. (laughs) I like it. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's It's been been amazing. Thank you. Loved being on. Thank you. So guys, that is a wrap for another episode of Excuse Me. If you have been affected by any of the topics that we have discussed on today's show, I will be putting some helpful links into the show notes for you. So please feel free to click and follow those to where they take you. There is help waiting for you on the other side. Thank you again to Sarah for being so kind and to sharing her expertise with us here on the show. If you want to get in touch with Sarah or follow her on any of her socials, those links will also be embedded into the show notes for you guys. So you can follow Sarah there and see what she's up to and follow all of her wonderful posts and advice that she shares on a very regular basis. That's all for me this week, guys. Stay safe, look after each other, and I will see you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.